Okay, we'll get going. Uh, thank you for coming. We've got... Alex is here from the BBC News, so uh, just watch what you're doing, um, certain people. Uh, and I'm going to record this, see how it comes out, and put this on our, our podcast. What we've got this evening is um, a little bit of a pilot in that over the years we've done quite a bit with working just uh, direct with clubs and players with the session that I've done. But um, over time we've thought there's, the next step is really to try and get something where we get another voice in there um, and to give people, like if you've ever come to any of the sessions before, we really try to look at every part of that mental health continuum. So we're looking at things that you can use, mental skills to help your performance, also things kind of in the middle around your general well-being and also as we go through it, we'll have a bit of a reflection on some of the, the struggles and the difficulties and how cricket whether it's playing it for a living or whether it's playing it for recreation is something that actually has loads of stuff there that we can get access to so I think most of you 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 know well you know both of us are but if I just say from my perspective this is the 206th uh, session that the Open at Cricket have done so when I speak this evening it's not really what I know it's more what people over those years have contributed and, and, and and have put into there um, and then Paul, of course, is going to come at it from, from his angle. Um, currently captain at Leicester, career going all the way back to first class debut in 2003, still relatively young, we will say. Um, so we've got all that to draw on in terms of all, all angles of that. Um, and because we've got quite a tight group here, um, I'll throw it out a couple of times if people have got things that either they want to ask or have a, you know, a contribution to what they do or, or, or something like that. So I think at the, at the top of this, probably what people would like to, to hear about, particularly from Paul, is where we, have, where we can develop skills in terms of the mental side of cricket. And what I always look at, at this is the, the key elements that we have to possess as cricketers are based around your focus and your concentration, your... Your mindset, whether that's a good one, positively thinking, or whether it's not so good, and then also resilience, which we might not even think of as being a skill. We probably think people have it or they don't have it. But part of what Paul's going to say, and part of what I'm going to say, are about things that people can leave this evening and can either do when they get home, they do tomorrow, that are techniques that will help with that, whether it's for cricket or other otherwise. So we'd spoken before about mental preparation, particularly for opening the batting. So we might have some openness here, we might have people who can sort of put themselves in that position. Paul, when you get yourself ready, say you won the toss or lost the toss and you, you're going out to bat, you've got, say, half an hour, 20 minutes or so before you're going into the middle, what preparation are you going through mentally? Well, in most, most recent times, there hasn't been a toss in first-class cricket, which has been a, a change. Um, I think, firstly, it's nice to... To hear that you've done 206 of these sessions is a wonderful achievement. So before we get into opening the batting, which is pretty easy when it comes to what yeah what we're all talking about and some of the challenges that people are facing and you've been trying to deal with, um, I think the key when it comes to opening the batting or, or any preparation or mental preparation on, on anything you do is actually preparing before the event. What happens a lot for opening the batting is you don't get the time necessarily to do that because the toss is at 10.30 and for first class cricket you start at 11 o'clock. So between 10.30 and 11 o'clock the choice of what you're doing is, is uh, half an hour 
and you get a small window of opportunity to get yourself ready and prepared in and amongst a load of other chaos. If you bat three, four, five and six, the game starts, it settles down for you, you sit in a dressing room, you gather thoughts, you get instant feedback on bowling, conditions, all sorts of things and you can take cues in. Opening the batting has its challenges because the game can be over quite quickly for you. So there's a number of times where I have sat uh, in a dressing room and gone back to my coffee which is still warm because I've not got many runs and the game, I've been mentally prepared at 11.30 or after I've been out rather than um, at 11 o'clock. So what I've learned to cope with, especially as I've got older and I've had more responsibility, when I was a young player, no one looked at me, I had no responsibility, I played in a successful Lancashire team and I was the crap player. So it was good for me to just get on with my own work. Now as a senior guy or as captain, there's a lot of stuff for me to deal with. So mentally preparing for my own um, skills or my own game um, has been a real challenge um, as I've got older. So it's about getting it done for me um, because sometimes things happen, opening the batting and you get out and I've been sat um, having a coffee at 11.30 thinking I wish I could bat now because I'm ready to face what's going to come and I watch other score runs. So the challenge is getting it done uh, in time for me. Uh, and I think people listening would think that the time pressure's exactly the same if not even more so in your club cricket where yeah if you've got a leadership role you're just someone who's around the club you're doing this you're doing this and then it's like well actually you've got to go and bat so is there anything that you've cultivated over these years that you'd say is a routine that you try and stick to or are you do you have more flexibility in how you approach it i think it's not i think routines work uh, they're a good thing to have and some people have um you know, good routines before game or in play. So I think what's really good as a batter um, or as a bowler, cricket is a, you know, it's a game of little moments where it's basically built on failure. Uh, there's a lot more failure than, a lot more failure than success in cricket. So routines you know, as a batter between balls is key. You see it a lot in, in tennis players you know, and golfers, gathering thoughts, being able to reset. And there's a lot of times as a as a batsman that you play and miss, or you don't hit the ball in the right way, or you, you know, it doesn't things don't work out. But be able to clear that out of your out of your frame of mind. How you do that, whether guys step away, or whether you grab your balls, or you gloves, or you touch your helmet, or whatever it is, you have to clear what's going on because you can't affect previous. You know, tennis players do it a lot. You know, they sort of turn the racket around, they sit down in between points, they towel themselves down, so they clear what happens. What tends to happen is you see that people, they have this issue and then the, the belief and they start living the failure and then they can't get away from that. Yeah, and, and, and that's the challenge, being able to clear and reset ball by ball. Yeah, and that concentration, we hear a lot of this and when the more you watch perhaps in the when you're watching a, a professional game or you're watching a good standard of club cricket, the more you look out for it, the more you see where people's routines are or where they're not. So he might frustrate people, but when you see David Warner doing that thing with his gloves where he, un, un, um, what's, yeah, he, he, he starts to take them off, you know, he does the strap, that's part of him saying, right, I'm moving away from that ball, focusing on something else briefly, and then going back to it and trying, like you say, Paul, to clear it. For the bowlers out there, I had a really interesting conversation with a player last year, actually. Um, excellent player, you know, as good as it gets in, in club cricket, who 
was talking about the importance between deliveries of keeping his movement from the, the ball that's, that he's just bowled, whether it's gone for six or whether it's a dot, and the same pace he has going back to his, his run-up and saying that's something he can control. So what the batter does with it, he can't control. He can influence, but if this guy is you know absolute gun of a bat and has just picked up a ball that's decent and it's gone, his thing that he wants to bring himself back to is saying, right, well, what I can control is I'm not going to rush to the next ball or I'm not going to go too slow. I'm going to trust that I've trained this and I'm going to go back and, and, and have some control over it because a lot of this is about what like, the chaos that's going on. I remember you saying a few years ago, Paul, about opening the baton or batting is about trying to control that chaos or influence what you can within it. Um, for you... Focus and concentration, is that something that either you, in yourself or teammates over the years that you've seen people work on or train or is that something that has been just sort of left up to the fate of the gods? Um, I think it's something that is, my, my own opinion, is left up to the to fate of the gods. Um, I think, you know, who's, in, who's been in the room, who's sat in a dressing room and watched cricket or watched their team play and felt that the batter at the crease is going to get out soon. So you almost feel it and see it happening in front of your own eyes in slow motion, but the batter who's happening to might not identify it and normally doesn't. And that happens at club cricket and it happens at professional cricket. We get a feeling of something's going to happen here. Whether they can get over that period and move on is great. If not, they normally get out. And that that is that is something that you have to be conscious of all the time because it's about the environment can set concentration as well so it's not just individually it's as a team it's a team sport so you'll have been in dressing rooms which um, you start batting and they smack them around and you are 80 without loss and your dressing room will be very happy it will be very smiley they'll be very noisy lots of communication and everyone will be having a great time if your first hours play and if you're 40 for four it won't be that happy, it won't be smiley, it will be quite quiet, it will be tense. So the, the dressing room creates pressure and atmosphere and issues as well as, as individuals do. So the key is being as level as you can because it's a horrible game. I know we love it, but it is a horrible game. It really is, like it's a terrible game. Where we base it on, our performance is based on, as a badass scoring 100, you know, I've played 200 and X amount first class games, about over 400 innings, but I've passed 128 times. So that's a lot of failure in my career. And I'm supposed to be semi-decent. So imagine turning up on a weekend and being not as decent and, you know, and failing you know, every weekend. So I'm, we, we think it's a perfect game, and, and we, but we build this thing of failure. I see it all the time with kids. And, and you know, last night I had a conversation with yourself. You, know, you smack a cover drive. Uh, and because your knee's not in the right position or you don't think your head's in the right position, it's a bad shot. When I'm saying it's a wonderful shot, uh, we, we, we built on, it's very easy to promote what, what's not good. Yeah, we never look at what is actually good and what we do really well. And that happens the higher you go. Yeah, uh, we, we, we looked at this a, a little while ago, October. I was down in the, um, the Cricketer magazine. We had an event there with um, Jamie Barker, who's a, a sports psych at Loughborough University, myself and uh, Fabian Cowdery, so famous 
cricketing name, a lot of what he was saying was about expectations. You know, he walks out to bat at Kent, he's got the Colin Cowdery pavilion there. He's got his family all around there. So expectations will often dictate how we, how we feel, and but it can be really unrealistic. And what Jamie was saying that night, which was really interesting, he used to do sports psych at Nottinghamshire, and he was saying there was a player there who, we spent the whole evening trying to work out who it was, we didn't quite get there. He was saying there's a player there who his teammates were saying he's really difficult to play with, not because of his personality necessarily, but just because of his reaction to uh, what happens when he gets out. You know, we probably we come across them over the years, haven't we? Someone who'll throw the bat, or you know, we've got a bill for a window need needing reglaze because of someone's reaction. This is going on regularly. So Jamie's work with him was to say, what is your expectation when you go out to bat? What do you expect to happen? Not what you want. What do you expect to happen? And it came down to this: that this guy expected to score a hundred each time he went out to bat. Now, as Paul said. That's not a realistic expectation. If you're Donald Bradman, you look at the score which he got more commonly than any other in Test match cricket, it's naught, even, even with this average that he had. So expecting to score 100 is, is, is patently ridiculous. But his work then was to try and say, right, we could make that maybe what you would like, but what would you expect? Maybe getting back more to what you can control and what processes are there. And what we do quite a bit when we're mentioning these ideas of that focus and concentration, there's a team element to it. But also for an individual in what is a, such an individually driven sport, if you look, and my little case study that I always throw out here is Justin Langer. Okay, incredible playing career, now very high profile coach. His focus and concentration he built through a particular technique that he says he's done every day since 1993, which he kind of stumbled across by accident. He was having a bad run in his first Test match series against New Zealand. The team's doing well and he's not, which for those of us who follow stuff like the grade cricketer, it's the other way around that you want it to be. You want to score 100 and the team lose. That's their kind of thing that they talk about. But the team's doing well, incredible Aussie team. And cut long story short, at the end of the day, end of this, this Test match, uh, John Wright, uh, New Zealand opener, comes over to him and says, you're trying too hard, you need to loosen up a bit. And he's thinking... Test match cricket, mate. Of course, I need to try hard. But he gets to him and he says, Have you ever tried meditation? And Lang is like, All oh, right, enough, goodbye. See you later. Off we go. A few days later, in the Western Australian, his paper, he sees an ad. Meditation with this guy. I think his name, he says, was Derek or something like this. And he thinks, Do you know what? I'm getting whacked round the head with this. I might as well give it a go. And here we are, 20, 2020, and he's done it every day since then. And people often look at, say, meditation and think, well, what does this do? We've got an image of it maybe as being this Eastern practice. But for him, it was practicing concentrating. It was practicing bringing his attention just to one thing at the time. And that can be over 10 or 15 minutes a day. But I spoke to um, a, a, an ex, ex-pro uh, a couple of months ago about Langer, who'd played with him at his time at Middlesex. And he said, Justin Langer's got this, this thing where... He's very, very intense, but also can be really chilled out. And that blend of that, that kind of trying to find off the pitch is different to on the pitch. So for him, his meditation is an act of not only switching off, but also using that to, to switch on as well. So I've always struggled with the words to try and advocate how brilliant a technique it is. Everyone's got the capacity with smartphones and so on to download something like Headspace or Smiling Mind. 
But if there is anyone here or anyone who's listening when this comes out and thinking about, I struggle to concentrate, sometimes I'm distracted by all kinds of other things that are going on, this is something that's available as a technique. Now, it might not work for you. It might be something that doesn't, doesn't quite click. So I was trying to prime Paul to go, what do you do? And for Paul, clearly the thing is more about there. The environment helps and, and other different things and probably a lot more just instinct for doing it for so long. But if we're looking to maybe make a bit of a change and things aren't, we're looking at, at working on that, then I would definitely put that out there in terms of the focus and the, the concentration. Um, we've touched on this already, Paul, but I think it's worth going back to that idea, which I think a lot of people would would probably think about the mental thing the most in cricket is pressure and how we deal with it. So over the years, and perhaps if you've maybe compared the beginning of your career towards now, which, way, which ways have you utilised to try and deal with pr- the pressure of, of both batting, captaincy, the game itself? Um, it's a really interesting question and something I've never really probably sat down and, and looked at as a I've always approached pressure with the the idea that I, I felt that I have been proving people wrong for 20 years I was left out of a team when I was 15 years of age uh, I remember receiving the letter in Australia saying that I wasn't selected and I was good enough and I wasn't making the district team and I think about that letter uh, every season and I still prove uh, that coach wrong that I'm carrying on as a professional cricketer and I've carried that into my professional career um, a lot of the time you, you live on one year contracts or two year contracts um, so the end is is close a lot of the time so I've, I've lived on the fear of, of pressure for me has been able to you know I've tried to prove people wrong my whole career which at times has got the better of me uh, I must admit where I've played to show people what I can do rather than, than um, the situation and uh, enjoy. At times I've, I've not enjoyed my, my cricket as such and I think when I've played my best cricket is when I have enjoyed my cricket. Um, but I think it's a really interesting dynamic for me because I feel that we turn up on a, on a weekend and play amateur cricket and you know, pressure, for, pressure for me is hitting a ball but you know people have what I would call real jobs or their doctors or their nurses or they're, they're dealing with things in their family or they have other stuff going on or they've lost you know, a child or, or whatever that is and that's more about pressure in, in how, we, how we get through life and I've only experienced that later in my career with some challenges in starting a family in my, in my own personal journey to have to it's put cricket in a, in a perspective for me, it's what I do for a living and it's what I'm judged on but you know, coping with, with things in life, I think, is more of a challenge than how many runs I score. Um, and especially when you turn up on a Saturday afternoon, you, you pay to enjoy the game. You know, I'm, I'm amazed at how serious, yes, it's serious and we want to win, great. But I'm amazed at how pressurised we put ourselves in this situation when you, you work all week and you give up your weekend to play. I find it an amazing thing. You know, I, I think we should enjoy the game more. You know, the guys who do the best are the guys who are enjoying the game. Um, that's what we play it for, whatever sport it is. So dealing with pressure is, is something that I think individuals do differently. Um, and 
I'm not sure how coachable it is. Mm. Yeah, and I think what we've got is the two types of pressure that exist. And there's an argument, certainly we we had a podcast, we had an article from a guy called Richard Hudson, whose whole premise around his approach as a, as a coach is that pressure is entirely manufactured. You know, it does not exist. It's something that we, we use as a label and so on. Now, that sounds great in theory, and then when you're out in the middle and so on, and then you can't just tell yourself, oh, the pressure doesn't exist, it's, it, it will be there. But we've got a blend here of whether it's pressure that's placed on us by either a situation or, or, or the, the team or the, the, the environment, or it's pressure that we're putting on ourselves. And it doesn't necessarily need to be good or bad. Paul's perspective is that, yeah, actually, a little bit of pressure on yourself to prove that district coach wrong is, is a motivator. But it was when we find that pressure may be too much that it is worth that investigation of like what's happening here and what can we do to deal with it. The players who enjoy it the most generally enjoy it. You know, it's easier to, to actually perform a bit more um, with it. I'm sure people as cricket fans have seen the video of, it's a couple of years old, but uh, it still goes on in a loop on my phone, of uh, Coley in the nets at the SCG. And it always says underneath it, make sure you turn the sound up because the sound of the ball off his bat is just unbelievable. It's better than anything you'll hear. But the thing there I always noted was he's enjoying it so much. Yeah, okay, it's great. It's at the SCGs on this tour. But he's just wanting that ball to come so he can hit it. And there's one where he plays and misses. I think it's just one, given that it's him. But he's then itching to get back to it again. And... Coming around a full circle from that, the pressure that we place on ourselves, whether it's in cricket or in life, and just trying to think, particularly if it's something we choose to do, well, how can we get back to that enjoyment? What is it that we can do? How can we just have that gratitude like the All Blacks have of saying, do you know what, this is an amazing experience to be pulling on that jersey because you're a long time retired and having that opportunity to go out and play with your mates is something that can get overlooked we complicate the game don't we it's a simple game that gets gets complicated so that's definitely one thing to re- reflect on why do we play and sometimes we reach Saturday evening and we're like yeah why do I play what is this all about <laughs> uh, more often than not but but seriously it could be that that element of saying well if I'm doing it because I want to p- play with my mates and I'm doing it because it's just a great thing to put my phone to one side and go and throw myself around in the field brilliant you can do that every time. Scoring 100s, making sure you win, you get promoted or whatever. Okay, there's a lot of variables in that. But bringing it back to the original, I think, is something that can be looked at. And the technique that I always throw in here is this piece around gratitude. It's something that definitely you likes of, of, of Coley, whether they do it intentionally or not, do. But Novak Djokovic is a big advocate of this. This is around the idea of maybe intentionally cultivating your mindset to be more positive. Now, all this stuff maybe sounds quite abstract. I'm like, how do I do this? And is this something like brainwashing? But people may have heard this one off me before, but there's a study done by the Union Massachusetts, which was in this area about how you can have more gratitude, how you can have develop, I suppose, a more positive mindset. And they had participants writing down three things that have gone well and three things that they're grateful for each day for 30 days and at the end of that study they found that all of the participants were able to scan for the positive in situations where previously they would have just thought there's no hope there 
So from a performance perspective, you could think that'd be useful when we're 70 for eight chasing 200, we need to dig in. But you think your day-to-day life as well, just maybe, like they always say, you know, stop and smell the roses. And the stuff that we get clogged up with, a lot of the stuff around the, the problems, can be nudged just back so we get more of a balance and go, do you know what? I might have got a duck or I might have been on this run where I've got a few ducks, etc., etc. But do you know what? I'm still actually playing and I've still got these other things that are going on. So there's the, your second one in terms of a technique. There is another app for that, which is called Grateful which is uh, absolutely free. It gives you prompts to keep that journal. And I always say to people, if you go and do that for the 30 days and it doesn't work, I didn't do the study, but if, you, if it doesn't work, get in touch with me because I'll be really interested to find out why. Because I've had so many people over the years have said, go on, I've given it a go. And then after 30 days, they go, flipping heck, wow. I've, you know, I feel different. I've got you know, a little bit more spring in my step. Because these skills, they're mental, but... They're cultivated in the same way, they're trained in the same way that your physical ones are. It becomes habit. So when Paul plays good cut shot, pull shot, or whatever, we, whatever it is, he's not there going, oh, hang on, get my elbow up. It's not intentional. It's all part of just years and years of training. So hopefully then it comes off um, as a result. Now, that said, we do have setbacks, and we've spoken about, about these. And I'm going to ask Paul something and then maybe ask people what they think as well. You talked about trying to stay level and that being the key there and not to get too too carried away with it. Um, has there been anything, again, whether it's a technique or just a way of approaching it, that over those these years you found useful to be able to deal with setbacks and when things haven't gone well? Um, I, think, I think I've been fortunate um, that my father never played the game of cricket. Well, he did, obviously, for Sefton, for Sefton Sunday 11, quite famously. Um, but because he, he, he was no good at the game, I say that with the greatest respect, um, he was never able to, to coach me in, in any way, shape or form. So I was always, whenever I spoke or I, w- I was ever faced with a setback or didn't, didn't score any runs or had an extended period of, of challenge, um, my father always reminded me that, you know, it's whenever that was in my career, that I'd been able to play the game for X amount of years as a professional and wasn't it a great achievement. And if it ended tomorrow, then it, it would be wonderful. Um, and you've had a great ride and, and you've enjoyed it and you've gone on to do something else and, and you can play more games for Sefton. You know, if you're not a professional at Lancashire or Leicester. So there is positives to it. So yeah, as much as that's you know, quite sentimental, it's also been great to realise that we get caught up in, 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 in so many different things um, and uh, you know, my setbacks have been small um, on a cricket field um, but my life setbacks have been more challenging to me than my cricket setbacks um, and that's where this really resonates with me because you know, as long as I'm a, I'm a professional but we are talking about life challenges as much as anything and initially I'm supposed to be a um, performer, I'm supposed to be calm in an environment, I'm supposed to be able to apply my skill. Um, so that means being able to uh, you know, discuss and share my issues and problems um, has, has been a challenge and, and being open and being uh, vulnerable in a professional sporting environment is not, is not easy mm-hmm. um, and doesn't happen. You know, we don't make environments what I would call safe psychologically. 
players to be vulnerable. No one goes in, uh, no one's going to go into training tomorrow unless they go, you know what, I'm not very good at X, Y, and Z. Because nobody does that. You don't go into your work and tell your boss you can't do your job. It doesn't work. So, if I was going to say anything in any team, you have to make it safe to be vulnerable um, as a performer and as a, as a person. Um, and that's why I haven't coped with in the best way over a number of years. Um, and at times, yeah, that has built up on me and, and my challenge has been I've, I've you know, snapped at times because I've built up a lot of pressure within dealing with a number of things outside of the game as well as the game. So, you know, sharing your issues and you talked about the, you know, the apps and the mindfulness and all of that stuff is, is something that I would encourage people to do. Uh, it's not done a, a lot and not done often enough in dressing rooms as well. Um, we make it a, uh, an area where we can't share if we've had a bad day or if we're down or if we're not struggling or if we're co- not coping with certain things because it's a sign of weakness and professional sports not an area to be weak in. Um, and I think that's where we need to be better as a general. Yeah, and, and that is so valuable to, for, for, for us to hear because as, say, club players or people who play it for fun, there's a real reluctance to engage with the support that you're offered. And I don't necessarily mean here in support in terms of your, your health and your well-being. I mean in terms of improving your game. You know, the amount of players um, who would like, to, who, who want that element of improving but not actually do anything about it. Because there's a vulnerability involved, isn't there? If saying to someone, actually, you know, this shot I'm really struggling with. We're not comfortable necessarily doing that because we think, is this going to expose me as someone who can't do that and everyone else seems to be doing it really well. And my second favourite opening batsman in English cricket of the last few years, so I'll give Paul number one spot. Um, But my second one here isn't too bad at a a reserve pick. And people who've spoken to me at any length about cricket recently will, will know I'm going to be mentioning here, but Alistair Cook, must be the best example going for the simple things that people can do which are good for your mental skills, for overcoming problems, for resilience and so on. I've got this lovely little story which is something that every single person can do with their teammates. It doesn't take any high level skill, it's not about him being, you know, all these records he's got. But I speak to this, this uh, chap relatively recently who played with Cook at... Um, at Essex he'd been around a little bit John Maunders if you remember him the lefty opening back and John was at one of the sessions at his club and afterwards we had a good chat and he was saying about Cook he's like yeah absolutely because I talked about Cook quite a bit that morning and he said little one from him was they'd been they'd gone out to open a baton with each other a difficult time in a game I think it was something like a, a, a third day of a game the light's getting a bit dim and they've got to go out to bat in this last hour or so so they're facing two spinners against Glamorgan. So I think Robert Croft was one of them, he said. And it was difficult. But they get through it and they're walking off. And Cook says, I need you to tell me how you played those spinners. So John's thinking, oh, what have I done? And Cook's going, no, 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 you played them really well. When we get upstairs, can you tell me you know, what you did? I need a bit of support. I wasn't playing as well as you. Now that for Cook, exposing himself and saying, look, I've struggled there, and you, you did well, works on so many levels for that team environment. On one hand, Cook himself gets the help because he thought that John maybe played him in a certain way and he could maybe do that. that. If that's all it is, that's great. 
But also, it shows to every other person in that dressing room, flipping heck, if Alistair Cook needs a bit of help, I think we could all probably put our hand up. And then for John, boosts him. He thinks, okay, you know, I've got an input here. But also, who's he going to think about speaking to if he needs some help later on? Well, Alistair Cook's just shown it's fine to do it. So that openness and that vulnerability, that word gets used... Um, more now in sport but not as, as much as it should do is absolutely critical we talk about this and, and when anyone asks for help or, or improves it's because they've actually exposed that they're not so good at it is that easy to do no it's not it's hard to do because of what we perceive of other people's reactions going to be um, and I won't mention in any detail the best case study I've seen from team sports people can go away and look at this from Richmond in the Aussie Rules competition. Unbelievable stuff. They made their whole culture around vulnerability and kind of made it, as much as you can, a compulsory element of the team environment. Because every bloke sat around there has problems and has stuff they've got to deal with. That's a given. Everyone in this room does. It might be that it might be something really difficult for us at the moment. It might just be something that's day-to-day we've learned to cope with. But everyone has problems. If everyone on their own tries to fix their own... They might get there, but what about getting some wisdom from the other people and saying, well, actually, someone could say, I've been through that and I thought this worked, or actually, I appreciate where you're coming from a little bit more. So in your experience then, and a few years ago when we, we, we did a bit on this when Tom Smith was here, what, what is it that makes a good team environment? Even if perhaps it's still difficult for people to show vulnerabilities, what are those ingredients, perhaps, in, in some of your experience, the really successful times at Langs? What made that team environment? If you could pick it up and take it somewhere else, what, what's a feature of it? I think there's a lot of discussion regarding team environments, um, team culture, uh, what's good, what's bad. There's a lot of different theories on, on team culture. And, and, and what it's a question that's asked a lot, and my, my mates want to know, what, what is it like in professional cricket? What is it, was it different to amateur cricket? What makes a good team culture? And it's something that I've always really struggled with because it, the best teams I've played in, I don't think necessarily have had the best team culture. What I've called the best team culture. And what is the best team culture? Is it having fun? I think it depends on what is your reason for being there. Yeah, so my team culture is about performance. Yeah, I'm a paid professional. Leicester is a professional sporting club. Their culture should be around performance. Uh, when you turn up for Saturday on a Sefton, I, yes, it's about performance a little bit, but it should be about more enjoyment for me. And the culture should be based about enjoyment to a level. Um, we encourage, in professional sport, not being too friendly with each other, not being too friendly and pally because it sometimes you know it's good to be able to pull up a mate and say you're not pulling your weight but I also don't think that's great at times I think what the what makes to answer your question you know to make it safe for people and that's very hard to do with a range of players from 20 to 37 who have varying degrees of ability varying degrees of challenges playing for different motives have come from different cultures have different ideas, may have a different religion, may have all these different things going on. To be able to make that an environment where everyone has an equal say is a real challenge. And people feel of equal worth. Yeah. I think is a, is a huge challenge. So what makes us, you know, 
successful team culture, well, winning is is it. It's easier for the All Blacks to say that they have a wonderful culture and they sweep the sheds and they do all these wonderful things, but they have the best of the best playing for them and they pick the best of the best on a rugby-obsessed nation in international sport. Okay, so they have a lot of finance. They have some really good traits, but I also think they're picking the best. So when you would have played in teams that have won and you would have enjoyed your time. Uh, no one enjoys losing. I don't think. Uh, I played in a Lancashire team in 2011 that won the championship. I played in the same team in 2012. They got relegated. The culture was the same. It was the same group. Just that we didn't win games of cricket and the culture fell apart because we looked for reasons why we weren't playing, winning games of cricket. So it depends what, for me, what makes a good team culture. I would say is to make the, the culture as safe and as easy for each individual to, to be themselves. Not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and how you do that, uh, yeah, I'm still finding, finding ways of doing that. Now at this point, we don't, don't want anyone to name names, but um, is there anything, if we're kind of broadening this out, that, that people would think of and say, in their own experience, that's what's contributed to having like, a good, supportive team environment? Or equally, we'd like the positives, but is there anything where there's been a com- common traits where you'd say, that generally has contributed towards it being less um, supportive. We're looking at this particularly from, say, yeah, our, our amateur perspective of turning up and paying our subs, paying our tea money, and then when you're in that room with the with the guys, what is a common thread of things that that we like to see, and what's a common thread of things that we don't like to see? And I will start to point at people in a second, so someone's got to say something. Just not being selfish, I'd say. There's eleven, eleven in the team, and. Sometimes you get some ballers who maybe upset you get dragged off or you'll get a ball before them or whatever. And I think that can be selfish. You know, it's hard on the captain, it's hard on everyone else. I know it's hard for people to maybe break out of that mindset. Same with the batting, if you get out, you get a bad decision or whatever. I always say to, I can't bat, but I say to people, if you're gonna get out, make sure you get out to a good ball. You get a good ball, the ball's too good, whatever, that's fine, you get a bad decision, that's fine. Don't then play a silly shot or give you a wicked away, run yourself out, run your mates out, and then sulk and complain. Just take responsibility. And if you don't bat for three weeks because maybe you ball first and you ball them out for a low score and the, the, the batsman knock it off, just keep going to training, keep keep practicing, keep turning up because you will bat. You know, as I say, we give our day up, but it is a team sport, and I think with cricket, especially locally in, in the in the, the higher ups you play, you know, there's there's offers and whatever, so it is good to be a Maybe have a good average or you take a lot of wickets because then you can maybe move away. But I think, especially with Seth on first team year, winning all them games, it was a case of, right, let's got this momentum. Let's run with it as a, as a team rather than go, Jimmy took six wickets this week, I didn't get a ball. It's just, but as a team, we go. I think that's the best. And it's the same, I know you just got relegated, but even when you, if you have that togetherness of playing for one another and taking responsibility, you lose a few games, you're still together, you'll win the next one or you might draw or whatever, it's keeping that rather than, as I say, just people who can be very selfish in cricket. As I say, it is a team sport and sometimes we, we forget that, you know what I mean? And how often, 
when we've said here we've used the word team environment in your mind's eye you're starting to drift across and think about individuals that might lead it or individuals that might you know detract from it and there's that idea psychologically of the cultural architecture in a group if you, if you remember this where in any environment or any organization whatever we want to call it certain people will set the agenda and people more often than not will follow so we all got examples of all oh, but that guy does things differently yeah there'll be the exception you think about any team you're in work or otherwise there'll be a certain group of people that tend to lead with that and if you've got the good ones doing that, that's brilliant. Sometimes when it can be toxic, whatever other word we'd use, when there is a lot of individuality in there. Um, but that's cricket, isn't it? It's funny where we've got the, a sport which is so driven by individual statistics and then you've got, say, someone else's scoring runs and you're not and that kind of balance from there. Um, remind me, Paul, what was, there was something that, in terms of, say, when, uh, when Pete Moores was... Um, looking after things at Lancashire there was some particular a particular couple of exercises that I remember you telling me that he did to try and cultivate that appreciation and the value of the other players yeah I think yeah I, I thought about this before we've we're all guilty of this it's very easy if I was going to ask you a question now about your own games and said uh, right tell me three things that you can't do and then tell me three things you're good at. You would probably be very quickly to answer the three things you're not very good at. You'd probably struggle with naming three things that you're good at. It's a bit of a human thing. It's very hard to self-promote. Um, some find it easier than others. And also, you know, it's very easy to pick holes. We all watch Premier League football um, and discuss with our friends how men who are paid at, uh, extreme amounts of money are not very good uh, and they're the best of the best and we all pick holes that they're not very good at being left back or he should play centre mid and all them things when they are extreme wonderful gifted athletes what Peter Moores did uh, which was a powerful thing was he got uh, he got the room or the squad to write down um, uh, he would pass the piece of paper in a room like this and you had to write down um, something you you valued in, in, in your teammate when it came around so you know, you each had to write what you thought was really good about about your teammate, and then when you as you finished it, you had a sheet of of twenty comments, thoughts, ideas of what made you a good cricket and what people enjoyed. To read that from your fellow peers in, in a professional sporting environment was really nice. A lot of these guys, a lot of the guys kept them. A lot of them guys pinned them up in their lockers. They were anonymous, so they were you know you didn't know who the the feedback come from unless you. You copied or you knew the handwriting but yeah it made you really think you know it's very very easy for us to put each other down in a, in a dressing room and say why didn't we do that or why did you play that shot you see it all the time you know the game's gone through the roof with you know, tv analyzing you know and we, we we find it very you know we have we get out and i'm being guilty of it you get out you then walk off and then you watch the feedback you watch the footage you don't watch your good things you watch how you got out what you did wrong, you look for what's not going on. Yeah, young Matt Parkinson made his debut a couple of weeks ago for England. Uh, wonderful leg spinner, young. He's been vilified for the pace he bowls the ball at. And now he has to spend his time trying to work on that. So, to, uh, to, uh, to, that was, to answer your question, it was to, what was powerful was to actually tell each other what we enjoyed about each other and what we thought was good. Uh, that really resonated 
with each other um, and that's quite a powerful thing to do. We don't do it often enough uh, in our everyday lives and we don't do it often enough in, in definitely in professional sport. Uh, and, it, and it's something I've been, I've been guilty of as, of as well. Um, very easy for me to pick holes in, in, in performance and you know, not just mine but other people's. So I've not been great in that in recent times of, you know, of look, seeing the, the strengths in people. Mm. Now, as a, as a captain, from a captaincy perspective, are you aware of, I suppose you, you will be, but have you become more conscious of the example that you set to others? So if you, you wind it all the way back to the beginning of your, of your time, you'll have yourself breaking into a team where there's these people who are established there and, 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 and it's their way. Now when you're the senior player and the captain have that leadership responsibility, how, how much is that awareness of like how you interact with other people and what they might expect from you and potentially you being someone that they say, look, actually, put my hand up, I need a bit of help here. How has that evolved for you over these years? Um, it's a really interesting question and, and I've you know, at times really struggled with captaincy and the idea of captaincy and, and being mm-hmm. captain. Um, I've wanted to be captain, um, which is not a comfortable thing at times for people. Uh, our environments yeah, it's not fr- it's not f- uh, been looked at favorably that I actually wanted to lead a team and uh, in, in, in my career um, having an aspiration to do that is is not um, pushed on in, in first class cricket in my experiences I've also had um, challenges at times with doing what my my gut tells me and, and what I think might be more politically correct at times um, I've always done things that I've, I've been resonated with my, my heart and my values rather than what would probably benefit my old career. Um, I, why in recent times, the challenge that I've found, or what, I, what I've discovered in recent times is that as a captain, as a leader, I've tried to um, build relationships with players who I would not normally spend time with or would not normally have a lot in common and have found that journey uh, invigorating. Um, these guys or you work with or your friends or teammates you play with or you'll sit with the same people or you'll have the same values or discussions or ideas yeah, but sport and cricket you know, has a variety of ethnicities uh, people who are on different journeys like Leicester we have you know, a couple of South Africans a couple of Australians obviously originally myself we have guys who have different you know, religious beliefs we have guys who have been to university, been sacked by other clubs. There's a whole host of journeys, so I've tried to, you know, really build relationships with people who I would not normally spend spend time with, to learn about them as people and to to show that I I don't just stick to you know, my comfort zone. I found it invigorating and powerful because a lot of that is only being the younger arm of the team. Um, what you'll notice is teams are run by their senior arm. Yeah, the 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 big boys call the shots. That's just the way sport is yeah, necessarily. So if you can break down that barrier, um, that has real power within a group of, of 20 men. But my biggest thing is you have to be honest. And that's rare. Um, while a lot of the time is we, we gloss things over, we sweep things under the carpet, we don't. You know, we're not honest with what we do and how we've achieved and, and what we could do better. 
you can't go into a group, into a room, I've always said, and, uh, of men and lie and, and you know, for once, I'm trying to find a word that doesn't swear here. Um, you can't pull the wool over 20 grown men in a dressing room. It doesn't happen, but it's tried often and often and time and time again. You have to be honest. If things are wrong or you've done something wrong or the management have got something wrong or it's not working, you have to be honest because players know. And you see that within everyday life. Uh, people know. There's no point trying to hide from that fact. Yeah, there's a couple of things I wanted to, to kind of add to there. What I found really interesting about this idea of, of trying to reach out to that whole team, everyone's guilty of like you've got your pals, whether it's in your team or your club, and of course they're the people if in recreational cricket where you know you choose to socialise with them. You might be they're the guys who are at your wedding, they're the guys who you go to the football with or, or so on. But we we talk a lot about how a team sport can be so good for people, those connections. And it's great when you're receiving that and you're in the, in the mix of that. But what about those people that are just slightly on the periphery? How welcome do we make people who are new to clubs or who maybe just are a bit different to us, who might not have those same background or hobbies? They might not be the big boozer, but it might be that they, re, you know, they really value the chance to have that, that integration. And it's not all about it's someone there in case something goes wrong and they need to speak to someone about a problem it's actually to get the benefit to, to think about how they can thrive a lot more and a great really simple example that I picked up uh, however many years ago this was speaking to um, a guy called Jake Winter remember the name he's uh, at a place for South Australia he was at he's, I was speaking to him at Glenelg one of the, uh, the, the premier cricket clubs down there in Adelaide and we were chatting away about this kind of stuff and he was saying he's, he, what people do in terms of meditation, mental skills and so on. But the thing with the team that was so simple is he said they'll have at their um, at, at, at training times where, of course, they're, they're, they're going to eat, they sit down and eat. And their coach had made it a policy. I can't remember whether it was kind of once a week or something like that, where they'd set the table and you'd be sat with someone different. So for him, rookie coming through... He's going to be sat on the table with someone who's played for Australia a load of times. Uh, and that breaks down that thing of, oh, God, you know, can I speak to him? Because it's a bit of everyone's awkward, or, you know, what's your name and so on. But you get that chance, possibly, to connect with someone who you just wouldn't have thought you would do otherwise by maybe manufacturing a little bit. And those people in the club or in the position who can actually say, well, go on, I'm comfortable enough to go and speak to those kind of people. So when we talk, yeah, about the, the team environment or the culture, it's not, of course, all about performance. Um, I think it's definitely something which we can be using just for people's general day-to-day uh, well-being. And as we move towards the, the, the end of this, I've got two of the kind of most difficult aspects to speak about here because we don't want to, like you say, Paul, we don't want to kind of make things appear to be different than they are. Um, it'd be lovely to be able to say, right, in pro cricket and amateur cricket, if someone needs a bit of help, if they're struggling with their... Uh, with that, with how they are, yeah, they they can do that straight away. Of course, we realise there's barriers and there's obstacles to it. But across your t- this time, and so, sorry to keep using this timeline, I don't know from the beginning up to now. But do you detect any kind of change in how issue issues around, say, if we call it mental injuries or strains, how differently they're dealt with compared to? 
going back a number of years, or is it still roughly the same? I mean, that it's 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 an interesting one to think about. I, I look, I def- definitely think that the landscape has changed on on how we deal with you know mental injuries as as compared to physical injuries. I also think sport or cricket is still is still behind in 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 how it approaches the whole mental side of of the game. Um, you know, for instance, you know, we have you know, 18 counties. 18 counties have uh, full employed strength and conditioning coaches uh, and assistants to strength and conditioning coaches. Not all 18 counties have a full-time psychologist. That will show you the level of where um, mental understanding and physical understanding sits within a professional sport. Uh, physical improvement is very visible. It's very easy to see. It's very well rewarding for the individuals and it looks very good and you can see changes the mental side of the game um, and professional sport is huge when it comes to performance uh, the mental side of the game it's one of the biggest different differentiators between people being able to succeed and being able to to not how they cope with you know what goes on between their ears but the investment and understanding of that I think we've still got some some learning to do and, and I've you know I've been guilty of this in, in, in my career Understanding when players have struggled with with that, um, because I have at times I haven't struggled as much with mental side of the game or performance or or other things outside of the game impacting on my career. I've always been able to park them. Um, and dealing with that and accepting that uh, is still got some got some long it's got some you know, longevity I think in, in going forward with, with regards professional cricket and team sport. Uh, but it's getting better. There's some recent times, recent cases in people coming out there and saying they have some challenges. Um, you know, Glenn Maxwell, for want of a, he's quite you know well known. Um, he was over here in the summer with Lancashire, um, but also you know he's had a break from the game. And a lot of the time, you know, we have a lot of breaks from the game for physical injuries, but you know we never do for mental. And I think it's something where we need to look at moving forward, especially in a world we live in. When I, you know, when I first started. Yeah, the only time you were told you weren't very good was uh, in the paper or on the, on the teletext that that thing that used to come on the screen mm-hmm. and you used to hold the page now you yeah we live in a, a social media world where yeah my performances are everyone's performances are uh, pretty relevant and pretty people have a comment on on how I uh, dress play a cover drive or do anything uh, not that many comments but uh, they do and that's and we have to understand how that helps and how that players deal with that as well. I see a lot of young players struggling with that. Um, they're quite happy to take the plaudits and retweet when people say, well played, um, but they struggle when people say and ask questions of what they're doing. Um, so for me, that's a real challenge moving forward. And I see, you know, I, I sort of struggle with social media. I am on social media, but you know, I wake up every morning or whatever it is and we go on Instagram and we see people having a good time and I feel like I'm missing out a lot of the time. Uh, and I feel like I wasn't invited to certain things which I could have been invited to and why are they seeing them friends and not seeing me and, and all that sort of stuff. And that's a daily occurrence for people. So I, I, I have a real battle ongoing with with social media and how we and we interact with that. Yeah. And the world for me is built on you know, you know, we see now I've seen cricketers now over a winter start to portray their training in on social media to show that they're, they're doing their job um, when the best sportsmen have always done their, their jobs behind closed doors and become better 
but we live in a world where deception is no intense reality. Yeah, and, and with that, we've, we've certainly got this, yeah, we, we've lived, we live in a very reactive society when it comes to mental health and well-being. Glenn Maxwell's a great example of how the conversation has moved on a little bit because in Glenn's case, it was that Langer was able to spot something a bit earlier, have that conversation, and then fairly proactively take a break. <clears throat> We'd all remember, going back not that long ago, you examples of Trot, Trescothic particularly, and how something really bad, particularly with Marcus, it was that, there you go, right, this guy, and if you've read his book, it's detailed incredibly vividly how bad it was. Now, would we back ourselves to spot someone deteriorating like that in our own lives? And the, or, the uncomfortable answer a lot of the time is maybe not, because people do put up walls and barriers um, in the case of Marcus, I was fortunate enough to chat with him when I was doing work with the Somerset Academy, um, and, and he, was, he was talking there about how now he, he, he likes to keep busy and, he, and how organised, you know, that really helps, and he knows the triggers and the signs. He's very, very comfortable with what works for him and what doesn't, but it took him the absolute pits to get there. So the next stage has got to be that little bit more proactive whether it's in pro sport, whether it's in amateur sport or life, to just say, hang on, let's not wait until someone's at the worst time of their life before we start to care about how they're feeling. We wait until we have some awful news about someone, you know, being on the very brink. When all this stuff we've been talking about, some people might have, have, might have been listening via the podcast or here and thinking, what does that have to do with mental health, the team environment or, or batting or something like that? It's all part of the same topic and it's an enormous topic it currently has a really small amount of coverage. They're very reactive things. People confusing mental health with mental illness, saying, oh, he's got mental health. Yeah, we've all got mental health. It just depends whether it's good, bad, or somewhere in the middle. So the thing I think we just to talk about at, at the end is to think about what we, what we do and what we can do about, about that looking out for the teammate or the friend. Because this stuff behind us says... It's not weak to speak, and yeah, that's nice, it rhymes and everything. But really what it, it needs as well is, it's, it's certainly not weak for someone to speak, but what we get a lot of the time is someone feeling that it's not possible for how it's going to be received. And going back to the, the All Blacks, outgoing coach Steve Hansen said he wants a, wanted a culture, both in New Zealand rugby and New Zealand as a society, because... New Zealand, in terms of the most developed countries in the world, has got the biggest problem with, with suicide rates. Said we need to give people the permission to be able to speak, to feel like it's not just, I've got to say, look, I've got to confess almost, or I've got to disclose something. Actually, the permission should be there. It's, in, it's, it's explicit rather than implied. And it's part of our everyday conversation. But that balance is difficult, because someone's got to start that, and someone's got to move that along. So... Just, I suppose, to put you on the spot at the end, Paul, what, what would need to change to make some version of that a reality in professional sport, to have people being just that little bit more open about things that, from, from, from your angle, things that might perfect, affect their performance, which if they get some help with, they can get back to, 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 to doing really well? I, th- I think what, you know, the, the examples that you've spoken about and the players that you've spoken about, I think if it... If it becomes um, 
the normal more acceptable and more high and, and people uh, are willing to to go through it and accept that they have got some challenges and and, and if then people stand up and and are and, and are willing to speak or take a break from the game or to to go on record and say they've struggled with some 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 mental challenges then if it becomes acceptable i think people will then realize because i still believe there is a stigma attached to to showing weakness um yeah in, in in mental circumstances and and i think it's you know we've all been guilty of it in in, in times and thinking that it, it can because it's not as visible, it's it's really hard for people to understand it. Unless you go through it yourself, I don't think you can appreciate what, what can go on with people and how they have challenges. Um, and I think understanding at times that, you know, I've I've had periods where I've, you know, had some upset or had some hurt and, and had to share and, and, and then wondered that, you know, is it is it a mental challenge? Am I having some mental health issues, or, or is it just because I'm upset, or is it just because oh, I need to speak to somebody, or is it just because I need to share some of the pressures I'm feeling? Um, the stigma of understanding what it is, I think, is 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 also needs addressing at times moving forward. Um, and you know, I might have suffered some mental health challenges in the past, but I might not have known that they are. Mm. Uh, all I've known is that I was struggling at times. I needed to, to share some things and, and be open with people I confided in. And that's, if more people do that and, and, and we, can, we become aware in a sporting nature that it's acceptable to do that, everyone accepts a hamstring strain. Um, and I, and I've, been, you know, I've been one of them players who've been guilty of seeing players who maybe have taken some time away from mental health and challenges and probably not accepted that it's, you know, I've probably not seen and understood it. So it's the understanding for me. Yeah, and, and that's the, the one of the, the, the great things to to be aware of that we may be reaching a lot for a diagnosis of something. You know, we're looking out for signs and symptoms and saying, Oh, is this you know someone's depressed or is this a case of anxiety? When you can have poor mental health without a mental illness, or you can have really good mental health with a mental illness. So you look at people who've had episodic periods of depression who like say Marcus Trescothic or, or, or others amongst us have said I know what works, I know what I need to avoid I know what I need to in, in, engage with more and that keeps me going but yeah everyone's on that, 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 that sliding scale or that continuum however you want to look at it and some of the stuff yeah that, that, that had been challenges for Paul or for anyone else we, I think if we include them and say do you know what I, that was a decline my mental health wasn't great at that stage my health wasn't particularly good just like we wouldn't be going, oh my God, what, you had a thigh strain once, Paul, flipping heck, I never thought that would happen to you. We wouldn't do that. We'd accept that even though the guy's a professional cricket player, he's going to get injured at some point. Um, particularly being, a, being an opening bat, you know, something, plenty of challenges there in terms of physical health. So that, that aspect of normalising definitely, I think, is really important. And at this stage, we always kind of do wrap up uh, usually by talking about, yeah, our experience at this club in, in terms of losing someone to suicide and the effect that that has and I think in a lot of ways still does have and if I speak honestly about it I think it's an on this is the, the club which I think is the toughest nut to crack for me uh, in that there's obviously a lot of people who are new to the club who, who didn't know Alex there's people who were there at the, at the time and maybe I could engage the conversation a bit more directly with people and not imply that they're going to know about this kind of stuff. So that's all always there. But I think the key is for, for people to, to realise that 
this kind of stuff where we do talk about suicide and that's what opening up is is making an attempt in some way to to prevent by getting people talking about about mental health and 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 everything about it is that this is something that everyone would agree we would do everything we can to to avoid some of those really things that are just dead simple really soft measures that we've spoken about about how we interact with people and about making people welcome and actually maximize what we have in cricket it's my passionately held belief that that can make a really big difference to how we how we engage with people and the the key i think going forward particularly is to say yeah we don't make the idea of mental health something that we think is a good cause or a campaign you know it's great if people say open up cricket does this fantastic but really it's about making a difference to how people do behave with each other and, and what we do so I, my thing i always always say at the end and i'll let you ask paul any questions if you have them is there should be in those three areas something that people are leaving thinking yeah i could probably could give that a go doesn't have to be arduous doesn't have to be a whole lifestyle change but for that kind of fitness and performance aspect some of the stuff we've talked about with focus and concentration and and we didn't really get into resilience a great deal but i think we that was that was implied within it or the gratitude piece or even the, the great one for Alistair Cook absolutely going for your physical fitness because that when he was doing the yo-yo test unbeaten in 12 years running against everyone for England him doing that was pushing himself out of his comfort zone so when things are going well can we build up a little bit of resilience for when things aren't so good volunteer to do things that are difficult so we've got that built in our mind is practiced to dealing with difficult situations because we're not going to avoid them. It will come and hit like a ton of bricks sometimes. But if we've got that little bit there and we know we can get through it, that can make a big difference. And then in the middle, the general stuff, the, the things we overlook, the simple bits. You know, is that guy at my club? You know, I haven't heard from him. Seems a bit moody. I'll be writing it off or we may be saying, actually, you know, if you do need to talk to someone, you can. We're not expected to be counsellors, psychotherapists, listening to someone over a beer or a cup of coffee can make a really big difference and I'd say that from from personal experience and then at the other end looking out when we do know that there's something wrong with someone and when we know that there is someone who's really struggling and there's something going on in their life could be to do with work could be to do with just their health could be to do with any kind of circumstance and you know is that someone that we can help and if it's not for us if it's someone that we don't know that well is there someone that we could maybe say make sure they're looked after make sure we get them towards a bit of help my analogy always is, if someone's out on the field and they've got injured physically, say they've done their ankle, we don't hesitate taking them off the pitch and giving them the hand to get off. But we certainly don't stand over them going, right, okay, who's going to do a bit of physiotherapy? Who's going to do this? We make sure they get the proper help that they need, the professional support. Same really applies there with, with mental health as well. But there's been a load of stuff that we covered. Obviously, we could have been here all night talking about absolutely anything. Um, but I'll throw it open um, a little bit like we're back in in school here for any if anyone's got any questions for for Paul either about what he said or or about um, anything in this area really. Just um, when you said about safe space for people to <clears throat> open up, when you said earlier on about you live off one 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 season two season contracts, do you think it's do you think it is possible for say a young player or maybe a season pro to say listen I'm unwell. Um, to be able to, I know Glenn Maxwell has done that, but Glenn's got the start he is, he can play in Australia, go to the IPL, come to Lancashire. What about a lad who's 19, who's driving, travelling, travelling here, playing a game for Cheshire, playing a game for Lancashire 2, playing a game for Worcester 2, whatever, trying his best, 
to get there. Do you think? I think that's the only way it's going to change is if you put some assurances in for these young players or, or older players to say, you know what, you need this rest. You can have this rest, whether you're Glenn Maxwell or you're a 19 year old, 18 year old, 17 year old, trying to raise the game. Until then, I just think people are going to get burnt out or people are going to go, you know, just fall through the cracks. There's loads of, you can all think of players who thought we're going to make it and haven't quite made it. And I think maybe that's what it is because there's so much pressure. Um, so many expectations, and I, I, I just think these clubs, okay, yeah, it's great and um, promoting stuff, but I think they need to put them assurances in that if you are unwell, you know, you could have a guy there who can who's as strong as anything physically, but as you said, hates his hamstring, that's not his fault. You, you know, if you're feeling unwell, you should feel at that time to, re to rest and recuperate like you would a broken arm or a torn hamstring, etc. So I think that's what needs to happen from the ECB or, or whoever. I think it's a, I think it's a really good point. As as much as obviously I don't know Glenn's story, but you know, as you say, as an established international cricketer and a performer like he is, he 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 can step away from the game knowing that he can obviously step back into the game because of what he's delivered and and he's a wonderful performer. Can you take that risk as an eighteen year old who's who's trying to be that Glenn Maxwell um, and trying to forge a career? Uh, and be open and honest enough. I don't think. I think your answer. I think your question's fantastic. I don't think so it's you, safe. Can I as well say you're a 29 year old who's got two kids and a mortgage? Can you, can you risk? You know that's the key. That's that, exactly, you're exactly right. And I don't think we're there just yet mm. with regards to that. And I think more awareness of it and support. I know on a professional cricket point of view, uh, the PCA uh, are huge in support of players, um, but. For an individual club um, and the ECB, I think it's um, it's a, it's an area where they can become better. Yeah, the clubs are fortunate enough that they they can pick talent and they can you know obviously yeah if there's someone who does falls by the wayside they can buy someone else in or they can have somebody else. I think we need the club the more responsibility needs to go on the, on the individual clubs to put investment in that time and support people through that journey um, and not just dispel them into the into into the wilderness. I wonder if it almost should be the individual clubs. There's only 18 counties. Some are rich, some are poor. Presumably the poorer ones are the ones without psychologists. If the ECB employ nine or 12 psychologists rather than everyone trying to go out, and they kind of just move around, and you'd get different specialisms coming into your county through the six months of the season or whatever, whether that would work there. It's not anything we can answer. But, um, I think it's a really good idea. There's obviously the ECB funds the game centrally, and it sends out the money to the counties. And, and and there's a lot of funding for all different aspects, and it has different layers. Um, I'm not sure if there is a separate pot of money or a part of that funding that includes psychological help. I know there is funding for science and medicine, and obviously the physical department, and and that encompasses the psychological support. But if you don't have a for instance, as an example, if you don't have a strength condition, assistant strength and conditioning coach, there is a element of funding that is held. I don't know if that's the case for a psychologist. I don't <coughs> to find out that. When but it's it? definitely an interesting area. So, on, you know, take, take my journey at Leicester. You know, we have uh, a head SNC. We have an assistant SNC. Uh, we have a head physio and an assistant physio. We have a psychologist that is part time. Ad hoc. 
there's not a huge amount of budget between you and I for that area because it's the thing that is given if you don't have a lot of money it's the, the thing, thing one of the first things that is not high on the agenda you know the clubs who have a lot more finance are able to you know put money into it you know Lancashire have a, basically a full time guy working with them um, and that's the case across the board with the clubs I was just thinking that this potentially as well rather than the, the psych psychologist route which can often be perceived I know from conversations with with players that they'll that will be perceived as someone who is there to, to make them a better player and there's that performance aspect and there's been concern with some of them who have thought well actually what I'm speaking to the psychologist about how is this getting back to the the team management now of course you, you would you would certainly hope that, that that's not the case, and I'm sure, and of course, it isn't. But there's that thing of well, hang on, is this another thing in selection criteria? What's been a bit of a move elsewhere? Say, if we look at some of that that experience in in Aussie rules, it has been well, actually, you have someone who is there as a welfare or a well-being person, and that is almost your model. Stu would probably be appropriate in that they are someone who comes in and out. It's not you're the their side, their welfare officer. You are someone who is who's in it in a different way so there's that neutrality a little bit so perhaps there's no no idea that that's going to affect uh, selection we had Stan Collymore when we did the thing with the Anfield rap sorry to the blues um, a, a few years ago and he said yeah of course it's a long time since he was playing professional football but he said Aston Villa when he's talking about what he's going through he's got straight back to John Gregory within five minutes he's like well what's going on here you can't play on Saturday because you're feeling like this and he's like you know what am I going to do and what you said Joel that was alright for him because he's played for England you know he's a multi-million pound <coughs> footballer what about the kids who's coming through that thing I think is is where there's a lot more to be talked about definitely within that any others Dave yeah I was uh, hoping to just pick Paul's brains Dave Lee I'm back now cricket film at that I was talking with our team captain Tony today about uh, developing resilience, particularly in top order batsmen. So it's quite fortuitous that I've been put in a room with you now. You, just take it back to the beginning of what you were saying about um, preparation, being ready early enough. And I'm just wondering if you could share uh, with us um, day one of it before their game, you've won the toss, you decide to bat told you lads then you know you're going to go and get them on what, what are you doing in those you've got 20 minutes I guess before you're going to be there what, what are you doing in those 20 minutes for yourself because at that stage you've got to tune out from being the captain of the team and look after Paul Horton over the batsman I guess yeah I think I think that and that that in itself is a challenge um, being able to do that um, because you know in them 20 minutes at 10.30 when I've done a toss I've left two players out of the team so them two players are still in the ground they're still in the dressing room they've you know are, are feeling in a certain way so they're still there putting their you know they might be there when I'm here so there's a there's always a feeling of, of that that goes on as well um, there's a lot of chaos so you're right that the challenge is to be able to get into my own space and for me to be able to get into my own space and prepare for what the challenges may lie people approach it in a different way certain people approach it in different ways the advice I would give is to find an individual way of of dealing with it and coping with it so my way um, is to you know I, I put my gear on in a certain way I tend to sit sit and, and I like 
as much peace and quiet as I can get before I go and play. Hard in a dressing room and there's chaos and people are bouncing around and there's jokes and laughs and music on and the bowlers are cheering, they're happy as Larry because we're batting. Yeah, they love that, so it's brilliant. So, but it's also the, you know, the trying to remain and keep my brain as clear from negative thoughts as possible. You know, we are normally playing against opposition who have certain bowlers, stuff like that. So, but guys do it in different ways. Uh, there is, people use music as well. Um, so a lot of some players use music or headphones to, to take them to a place which they're calm. You know, Mark Cosgrove plays music all the time. Uh, he's played more games than I have. Uh, I'm sick of hearing his tunes because normally if I get out and he's batting four, his music's on. So this, uh, for my advice is to find your own individual way what works for you. you know, one of our lower order players, I won't give you his name, he sings songs when he bats to remain in a state that he can play because once he engages his brain, his batting isn't very good. What do you respect to him? But if he sings this certain song, he, he flows a lot better because he's worried about the song and thinking about that rather than he naturally lets his ability take over. That's going to require quite a lot of self-awareness. <coughs> yeah, and, it, and I think it becomes with, you know, trying things. Yeah, you know, try things. Trying to relax, you know. Focus isn't being tense and trying to zone in. Focus is, you know, when you've played your best cricket you haven't thought about anything. When you've played your worst cricket is when you've thought about where your head is, where your hands are, where your feet are, why you're releasing the ball, why is your foot not going in the right way, you know, the ball is too quick. That's the brain. When you've played your best cricket, you've played. You haven't realised how you've got there, but you've played. So, to answer your question, is it, I, would, I would try a number of things to try and remain calm. Easier said than done. I think something there that everyone can take is where you say there about the self-awareness is because this, that area is something that all those players would want to work on. They'd want to say, yeah, we could do being a bit more resilient. We could do with improving that side of our game. That as a routine to people actually sharing a little bit of what they do and maybe what they're worried about is a really natural way of getting people as teammates to say, well, all right, let's get it on the table, right? What do you do? What do you do? What works for you? What maybe doesn't work? And then, as a, as a by-product, if you like, looking to improve as a player, you've got some seeds there of them thinking, hang on, we've got each other's back a little bit more as well. So those things, when we talk about being more self-aware or developing these things, they all start with, with having a conversation a bit more. Not necessarily formal or even like this, just... Couple of the, the few of the lads talking about that at training just starts that thing going on about that, and then pulling in examples and ideas from it. I think that's a winner. I think. I think resonates with me what you said before is um, when you if you went you were ready to bat after you'd got out kind of thing. You got yourself and you're thinking, why haven't I done that 45 minutes earlier? Now we all know teammates who we, we know exactly what to do to treat them after they've got out. But we don't necessarily always know how to treat them to get them into that zone so they can actually perform well. Whereas we're just kind of putting the plaster over it when they when the window's been broken and the doors off its hinge. And that's not why we turn up on a Saturday. That's not fun, as you say. It's not fun, Mark, is it? Mm. I think a, a good understanding is, is routines are good uh, to a point, in my opinion, because they, they're great 
but if you rely on them and you're in an environment where you can't have them, how do you cope with the loss of that routine? For an example, you'll have a lot of guys who want to have a net, for instance, on the morning of a game. <coughs> well, if it rains and the nets are not open and you can't net, how do you cope with not having a net to then be able to, how does that affect you mentally to, to then perform? So guys look for things in routines. So small routines that you can cope with, that you can always take everywhere, are quite good. So having your own you know, music, you know, you'll always be able to have that, even if you play anywhere that's got nets or whatever, it doesn't matter. For some guys, so you can break down, you know, routines are really good, but be careful on how big they are, because they can break down if you don't have the, have the facilities. You know, if I like a big open space for my kit and I you know, go to Wavertree, then that, I can struggle with that, because their change room's quite small. So all them things can happen, you know, and I've seen guys they look to have a really good net in the morning and they want to just hit balls and hit balls until they think they're hitting the ball really well. When ha the net in the morning has no correlation to performance. None. Nada. Not one single iota. It means nothing. Trust me. Trust me. It means nothing. You're hitting balls against the fence means nothing to how you're going to perform. You have to break that down. It does. I've, I've seen it time and time again. But it's the idea of that, you know, that, that I'm going to play really well today because I've, I look really good in nets. That's a really interesting point, sorry, but I just because I, I've worked a lot with a young player last year and, and um, his genuine view was that, um, that, that the more he netted, uh, the better player he was going to become. And I was trying to tell him that actually the way he was going to become better players by performing in the middle and uh, I'm not I'm, you know, I almost got to the point where he was sort of saying I'm not going to play for the rest of the season I'm just going to practice and practice and uh, just couldn't, couldn't, he couldn't get it into his head that that, that, that was the wrong way to uh, improve as a player uh, Look, Don't get me wrong practice is wonderful when that's yeah. what he makes it but uh, correlating performance to certain little cues in practice morning of a game how you hit the ball on a Thursday night you know most guys who've had poor nets in the morning score runs mm -hmm. it happens a lot like I've seen blokes walk out of the net because they get out that many times and they go score 100 mm -hmm. because it clears them oh, and then things happen it, 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 it's hard to understand the correlation but it yeah, it just doesn't work for that practicing you have to practice Understanding, giving yourself the best chance, but understanding it—it's not an indicator of performance on a Saturday. Yeah, if you get a Jaffa, you get a Jaffa. If you get a bad OBW, yeah, I've felt that I probably got more than I probably have to be honest. But yeah, these things can happen. So it's understanding that because that's there's a mental challenge to that as well. Yeah, understanding that it's not all correlated to certain things we do. Okay, thank you very much. What we always do at this point is uh, get a picture to record our time together. Uh, so if we could, we could do that. But um, otherwise, thank you for, for coming out and giving this a go, something different. Hopefully you've got a few bits and pieces that you can take from it. Um, please keep in touch on the, on the, the social media and, and thereabouts. Um, but otherwise, let's, uh, let's do that. If everyone comes up here, we'll get the, the boards in there as well. Thank you.
Maybe you should go at the front of your shorts. I'm trying to hide that. 